Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Smells Like Business, where you can learn more about the current and future state of cannabis, CBD, and hemp in Europe. Every episode, we talk to different cannabis experts and entrepreneurs, making it easier for you to understand the cannabis industry. I'm your host, Tom, and today we have Brian Hart joining us on the show. He is a specialist in the cannabis industry, especially when it comes to financial and business consulting. Brian has his own consulting firm called The Heart Group, and he is also a project manager at Canna Advisors, a cannabis business consulting firm based out of Colorado. Canna Advisors has been leading the cannabis industry in the US since 2013 and is one of the industry's most recognized and trusted consultancies. They help guide entrepreneurs and startups who are trying to enter the cannabis industry, as well as existing companies trying to expand and grow their business. Brian grew up in the States and is half American and half German. He ended up doing his master's in Germany, and his thesis was about how the German cannabis industry might develop in comparison to the US using different models. We discuss a whole range of topics in regards to the cannabis industry, but the overarching theme is the comparison between the current cannabis market in the US and the future, or up and coming, I should say, cannabis market in Germany. Brian, being from both places and having studied both markets, is in the unique position of understanding the society, the culture, and the situation in regards to cannabis in both places, what their pros and cons are, and what the future of cannabis in Germany might actually look like. So, as they say in German, viel Spaß. Hi, Brian. Welcome to the Smells Like Business show. How are you doing? Hey, doing great, Tom. Thank you very much for having me. Absolute pleasure. It's really nice because I started this podcast during COVID. So I met all my guests only virtually. And then eventually, only this summer, I met one or two of my previous guests in person. And now I'm finally at the stage where, oh, I've actually met one or two people live before interviewing them. You being one of them, one of the very few. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about you and what you do. So perhaps you can tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe what you were doing before you actually entered the cannabis space. Yeah, of course. It'd be my pleasure to. So yeah, where do we start? Well, I have an undergraduate's degree in finance from the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, after my undergraduate's degree, I worked for a financial software consulting company. So, you know, I worked with uh, bulge bracket investment banks, investment management companies, you know, buy and sell side of finance. And, you know, I just really helped them with a lot of their strategies, providing them financial information. Great job. Loved it. I learned a lot. You know, it was very exciting, but there was a time when I just thought, okay, I want to try something new. So, uh, you know, I planned for it and I quit my job and traveled the world for three and a half years. After traveling the world for three and a half years, it was wonderful, but I had to say, okay, what's the next big move? And I got my MBA in Hochschule Fillingen Schwenningen in Southern Germany. And that was a master's in business administration. Wrote my master's thesis on the cannabis industry. I used a neoclassical economics model to conduct an industrial analysis. Uh, provided me a lot of insight. You know, ultimately, I just had to say, what are you going to do? And that was follow my passion. And cannabis is my passion. So what I do currently, I work for Can Advisors. It's a leading consulting company in cannabis. Can Advisors specializes in getting people licenses, consulting and advising clients on startups. So for example, if somebody wants to have a vertically integrated license, they would come to us and we'd say, okay, well, if it's a licensing round, we'll help them with the licensing aspects because there's applications for getting a license that are very detailed and the competition is enormous. 
if it's not a licensing round, we can also just give consultations and help people with their business. So say somebody's interested in starting a business, but they don't really know what to do first. They would reach out to us. We'd help them with making a business plan, financial modeling. In my personal experience, you know, I've also grown and sold cannabis. So I've worked at an indoor cultivation facility in Colorado. I worked at two separate vertically integrated companies. So I was working at a dispensary at one and working as an executive assistant on that job and growing cannabis on the other, which by the way was awesome. But you know, I just use some of those skill sets from that background and I assist clients in what their goals are. It's great. It feels like you've got quite a number of different skill sets that now you can sort of apply. And it's great that you've also worked with actually touching the cannabis plants. So that's something I, you know, I, I think a lot of people should do if they want to get into this industry. Great. So, I mean, let's, let's back up a little bit. So you did your master thesis in Germany. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you're half American and half German. That's correct. I was born in Germany. Uh, my mother's German. My father's American. When you did your master thesis in Germany, I'm guessing it was in German, right? Oh, actually, I was pretty lucky. There was an English program, so I thought I would do that. I do speak German, of course. When people talk to me, of course, they do hear I have an American accent, but I do speak the language. Great. Well, I mean, let's talk a little bit about your MBA in Germany, because you did your master thesis there, and it was applying cannabis models in U.S. states to the German market and the upcoming legalization of cannabis in Germany. I mean, the timing couldn't be better. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about the thesis and what you actually, you know, what conclusions you drew from it. Yeah, it'd be my pleasure to. So I use the structure conduct performance paradigm. It's uh, a neoclassical economics model, and it lets you look at different segments of an industry. So I thought what would be a better way than to apply it to Colorado, um, you know, really the first U.S. state to legalize full cannabis. And within the structure conduct performance paradigm, that model it's a dynamic model. So if you're going to imagine, you know, you have linkages, you have the structure of an industry. What does that mean? You know, how many players are in the industry? And of those players, what's the market share? So in traditional economics, people can talk about monopoly, an oligopoly, or imperfect competition. Depending on what that structure of an industry is, it's going to affect the whole industry. So Let's say that you're a farmer, you're in an imperfect competition industry. When you sell corn, it's the same price as everything else. That'd be much different if you were the only farmer, you can charge whatever price you want. So you first look at the structure of an industry, then you look at the conduct. So the conduct being is based on the structure, how are people competing? Again, if it's imperfect competition where you have multiple competitors, what you're going to see is you're going to see prices of goods that are going to be dropped dramatically almost to the point or really to the point of the cost of production because everybody is competing with one another and often they do that in reflection of their prices. There's other ways as well for competition. For example, marketing, advertising, you know, your company brand, how you carry yourself. But really, you know, one of the big factors would be price. So, you know, again, let's take another example of a monopoly. They own everything in a business or they own the whole market share and you can do a market share calculation to the Hirschman-Hefendahl index. You then say, okay, if it's a monopoly, they're going to charge exorbitant prices. No one can stop them. And then so we have the structure, the conduct, and then what's the performance? Well, that monopoly that's charged whatever price they want, they didn't have any competition. Well, their performance, net income is going to be very good. Profit margins would be very good. So those are the three linkages. Now there's more to it as well. You also have, for example, government regulation. And in the cannabis industry, that's huge. And then on top of government regulation, you have also have supply and demand characteristics. Supply and demand characteristics, 
they affect the model in itself as well as the government intervention. So it's really a dynamic model where you have to understand those, yeah, I would say those six big components, and then you have to just make a, a landscape picture or have a better understanding of the, of the industry itself. So, you know, for me, what was really neat was I wrote my master's thesis in 2019. That's when I submitted it. So it's been a few years. And a part of my master thesis was discussing how what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of competitors in the market in the cannabis industry, specifically Colorado is what I studied, but you can apply this model to US states, Germany, other countries as well. But, you know, part of the model, you know, the prediction I made was, you know, like any industry, you're going to see a lot of competition at the beginning. And then within that competition, there's going to be more efficient competitors compared to the other competitors. And what I mean by efficiency, that's translated into, you know, financial statements or really the net income. Well, the more efficient companies are then going to absorb the smaller companies. So you have what might be high competition. But when you look at, for example, the Hirschman-Hofendahl index, which is a measure of market share concentration, you're going to see that over time, the Hirschman-Hirfendahl index is increasing, meaning there's more market consolidation. And you've been seeing that in Colorado, and you're seeing that in many U.S. states. What I think is going to be neat is looking at Germany, seeing what kind of model they're going to be having there, and being able to make accurate predictions. Because if you understand the trajectory of an industry, it's better to plan for that. And that does give you a competitive advantage. I mean, how, how do you think Germany will, will actually move forward, in, in your opinion, obviously? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think it's important to understand, you know, Germany as a country, the culture, the system of governance. You compare the U.S. to, say, Germany or many European countries, the U.S. isn't as strong on regulations. Cannabis is a little bit of a, of a different thing because it's so politicized. Europe tends to have more regulations, more workers' rights, which people in the U.S. find wonderful. So it's going to depend a lot on what the German government's going to announce the regulations, the structure they're going to put into place. But I would envision that they're going to have a model where I would say it'd be shy of, of an oligopoly. Um, I'd say there'd be a lot of competition at the beginning, so multiple firms. And you know these firms can try and find their own niche as well. Of course, you know, in any industry, I think it's important to realize that, you know, there will be competition. Some people, the costs may be too much. They won't be as efficient. So you'll have some absorption there. So you can see there, I imagine there's going to be a lot of similarities between the U.S. market. A big caveat that makes that hard to really make very strong predictions is just we need to understand still the governmental framework. How will the government regulate cannabis? You know, would they have license caps? Would they say, okay, there's going to be a license for so many people in a region. So we really have to wait and see what the government's going to do. And you know, as, as I like to go back to my master's thesis, structure, conduct, performance, government, regulation, supply and demand characteristics. So what's the government going to be doing to fill into that model? And also, what's the supply and demand characteristics going to be like as well? Demand will be a little bit easier to calculate just because, you know, when cannabis is fully legalized, anyone of a, an appropriate age and above can purchase cannabis. So you can run some models there. You can run some numbers there and get a rough idea. The supply conditions, that's going to be interesting because, again, it's going to depend on the government saying what license caps there are or how much cannabis can be grown. So I hate to say it's a wait and see approach. Uh, I have an idea of, you know, how it's going to grow, but without knowing the full details, it's going to be hard to look at the rest of the model. So, yeah, if I was going to give you a short answer, there will be a lot of competition depending on the licenses, then there will be maturity or there will be an increase in market share concentration where more efficient companies will absorb the smaller companies. And you're going to have, I would say, probably an oligopolistic model. 
when in the future, that can be difficult to predict as well. I mean, who knows, 5, 10, 15 years. But just like in so many other industries, there tends to be somebody or a group of companies that are the best at what they do. And they're going to be the ones that will continue to grow. And you know that's going to affect their bottom line as well. And yeah, and they will shape the industry in some shape or form, obviously, as well. Absolutely. Great. So let's come back to Canna Advisors. So when did you actually start working for them? And maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what it is they do exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been working with Canna Advisors for over a year now. A few years ago, I did start my own consulting company as well, the Heart Group LLC. You know, a lot of that was doing 1099 writing and assisting some of the bigger consulting companies. But I had some interesting projects um, that I enjoyed. You know, and when you work in the cannabis industry in the U.S., you know, it, it is somewhat of a smaller industry. You tend to know who is who. And, you know, can advisors really, from what I've heard and what I researched before joining the company, they really prove themselves to be the leader in the industry. So for me, it just made sense to join the company, especially after you meet the owners, Jay and Diane Zarkowski. Uh, they're just really wonderful people. Jay's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's always a pleasure to hang out with him. Uh, and he has really great insight into the industry as well. Yeah, and with Ken Advisors, uh, like I said, I thought it would make sense to join them. I have. In the last year, it's been unbelievable, the, you know, the work that I've been exposed to. We've worked in most of those states that have opened up licensing in the last year. I've been pretty busy with this company as well. So it's, it's really been a wonderful learning experience there. Glad to hear. Yeah, and then some of the services you provide, you said brand development, business development exit strategy what's that exactly well you know what is your exit strategy being where do you want to stop or where do you want to continue so you know say that you're somebody that wants to start a business and say all right i want to get into cannabis i love it it's a passion of mine i want to share cannabis with the world and you know i also want to make a business from it you need to say okay how long am i going to do this for uh, is this something where some people you know if, if you're a passionate person i can see that person wanting to grow the industry for a long period of time they probably don't want to exit in five or ten years they want to see if they can be that person that's going to grow the business into that oligopolistic model where they have high market share concentrations there could be some other people for example who are more interested uh, in making some money in the profit and you know that's that occurs as well in the industry so for a lot of these folks it might be okay i want to build a business up and after a few years of building the business making sure that it's profitable there might be another business out there who's larger that you know we can merge to together or be acquired by one another so you know really with an exit strategy it's saying you know it's it's really knowing who you are what are my intentions what do i want to accomplish in this business and then putting that plan to paper. So I've, you know, I've advised many different clients on their exit strategies. Some of them we have, you know, a time frame of what they want to achieve, you know, step by step basis, and then they want to say, okay, I want to sell my business and go to a nice beach or a nice island somewhere. You know, again, it just really varies on the individual. I also enjoy working with my clients, but it's always fascinating talking to the clients who say, yeah, I want to grow this. I want to put my soul into this business, and I want it to reflect who I am. And that can just be really enjoyable. Yeah, very interesting. I mean, also in the cannabis industry, a lot of people are coming there from a perspective of passion, right? They're very passionate about the plant and they want that. And 
The reason why I pointed out exit strategy is because I think a lot of people, especially here in Europe, are still thinking about the strategy of how to enter the industry, right? But it's important to think about the longevity and, and actually when you might want to also bow out or when to merge. There's so many different ways you can go about it. And then, of course, another one is brand strategy. That's a little bit more up my alley. Like you said, competition at the beginning will be fierce. And to sort of stand out from the pack, you kind of have to have very strong branding, but then also advertising because, you know, even though cannabis, hopefully recreationally, will be legal here in Europe at some point. Advertising might not necessarily be like with gambling and alcohol and tobacco. There are huge, huge restrictions. So I mean, it's quite hard to actually get your brand out there. So what advice would you give to anyone who's trying to have a good brand strategy? Of course. Well, first, I have to say it's, it is, in a sense, comical whenever I have friends from Germany visiting me in the U.S. and say the TV is on and there's a commercial for drug pills, you know, pharmaceutical pills. And, you know, it's like, oh, are you do you feel sad? And we have a pill for that. And my German friends will say, wow, they actually have advertising in the U.S. for this. It's illegal in Germany to do something like that. So, you know, first we have to look at governmental regulation. What are the rules? Now, going back to building that brand of an individual. Yeah, I think, you know, you have to play to your strengths. You have to know who you are very well. And I think having just conversations with a client saying, okay, this is who I am. These are my values. This is what I want to accomplish overall. How does that manifest into your brand? So if I was going to give advice on that, uh, it really is knowing who you are, knowing what you want to accomplish. And then when you know those set pieces, we can then have good conversations on how do we strengthen your brand? What is it about yourself that's unique compared to, say, a competitor or future competitors that, you know, we can try and make the barriers to entry or lock that competition out and keep, you know, your patient load or your customer load? So that would be my advice. Well, good advice right there. Yeah, yeah. And then I guess you help with risk mitigation. I'm sure that's a term you've used over and over again. Yeah, you know, there's so many different risks in the cannabis industry. I think what makes some of these risks a little bit different from other industries is if you mess up bad enough, you can go to jail. You'd have to be very careless and, you know, a little blasé. But yeah, risk management, you know, is just really, again, I think it comes down to your values and who you are as well. You meet a lot of people who say, hey, I believe in this plant. I know what it can do for people. I want to make sure that I am doing everything the right way. You can cut corners, and as a lot of people knows, you know, when you cut corners, you do see that eventually down the road, the effects of it. But with risk mitigation, it's saying, okay, what's my operational process, and am I really providing the best product for people who genuinely need this? Great. So, I mean, having been a cannabis consultant for a little while, and I'm sure having worked with several different businesses, are there any problems that you see businesses keep running into, you know, any red flags that sort of keep popping up? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm fortunate in the sense that I've worked in so many different states and I do see a reoccurring pattern and I can see that pattern occurring in Germany. So, you know, again, understanding governmental regulations, expected regulations. So what might be a prohibited location to have your dispensary or your cultivation facility or processing facility? And what I mean by that is finding property can be difficult for any business. Of course, you want to be in the right location. Then when you have governmental regulations, which is very common in the U.S. to say, you know, your operation cannot be within a thousand feet of a church or a daycare or a school, that can make it difficult for a lot of clients, especially in, you know, more conservative or religious areas where there's churches, it seems like every corner. So reoccurring issues I've seen is financing, finding a location, not necessarily understanding how the government works on a statewide level as well as on a municipal level. 
those are a few issues that come to mind immediately because again, it takes time to find the right property. It takes time to even build a team together. If you're going to be going in on this investment, getting funding can be difficult. Often a lot of people, you know, they reach out to high net worth individuals and they work together. There is, you know, some venture capital funding that can occur that does exist as well. But I would say making sure you have enough time, planning for the process, understanding the process from start to finish. Because when you know from start to finish and the steps along the way, it makes it a lot easier to have a successful business. And I've just noticed a lot of people who understandably come to us and we help them with those questions. But I, I've noticed just getting financing, getting a location can be very difficult for many people. A sort of reoccurring theme I notice is that a lot of people are having difficulties getting financing, right? So, I mean, what advice would you give to anyone who's looking for investors? I think a, a lot of people, when they want to get financing, they need to have a solid business plan. Really, they need to get the trust of the person that's going to be investing that money. So really, it's just being well-educated. You know, that moment that you might meet somebody that would be willing to invest or is curious you know, what is it about yourself that when you have that conversation that that individual will look at you and say, oh, you know, this, this, person really, this person really understands cannabis. This person really has a set plan. This person has, you know, projected financial statements that, you know, when I actually look at these projected financial statements, it makes sense how they're created, not just, oh, we're going to make, you know, X amount of money without showing assumptions or showing how you got there. So I think it's really having a very strong knowledge of what you're doing, having a strong plan showing that you can implement that plan, showing that you can get those results, and really overall just being extremely detail-oriented and understanding every step of the way to say, if you do have an exit strategy, what that would look like between you and the investors that you're with. So cross all your T's, dot all your I's, document everything, be as detailed as possible. I guess, again, you know, if you can also document where you mitigate your risk, I'm sure for an investor, that's also a great thing to see. So be very detailed oriented and try and, I guess, plan for, for every scenario you can imagine. Yeah, absolutely. And again, just know what you're doing, know the plans. You know, actually, an observation I'm noticing is... Because it hasn't been illegal, there hasn't been a lot of dispensaries, cultivation facilities, processing facilities. There haven't been, there's not a lot of knowledge in these operations, you know, at least when it comes to a legal framework that we have in many states in the US or in Canada that's fully legal. I've noticed that there seems to be a big gap in knowledge in running a cannabis business or even getting it started to begin with. So I'm curious to see how that's going to play out over the oncoming years. You know, I think there's going to be a good opportunity to uh, help people as well in that aspect. Yes, I think Europe's got a little bit of catching up to do, that's for sure. But hopefully we can get help from, you know, people like yourself. And actually, speaking of which, I mean, being half American and half German, you've kind of got the best of both worlds. The US was or is the leader in, in cannabis reform and, and then commercialization. And then now Germany, I mean, they are definitely the front runners here in Europe. So you're definitely in an interesting and, and I would say somewhat uh, privileged position. So being in, in such a position, how would you like to see Germany move forward with cannabis legalization? You know, I think that's a very good question. And, uh, you know, there's a lot to that question. Man, there's so many ways to unpack that. So first, there's society. You know, in German society and Europe in general, in many ways, people can view German society as liberal, uh, which it is. But also, there's still a conservative elements. You know, when you know, I, I did date a very sweet gal from, uh, <laughs> from a small town in the Black Forest where I was studying. 
And when her uh, mother found out that, you know, cannabis is what I was writing my thesis on, and that's what I wanted to get into, well, you know, some eyebrows were raised. So first, we have to look at society, you know, how that changes over time, because what society wants does dictate how the laws will go. So how I would like it to be, of course, I'd like to have some regulation. I think cannabis can be treated like any other plant eventually, and when society is ready for it, it doesn't need that amount of intense regulation where people can go in their own gardens, grow a couple plants, and why not? Like, it's just a plant. It's not going to hurt anybody. That is probably decades away, so we need something from until then. So we do need a regulatory process because we do need to have some confidence within society to say, okay, this is a business just like any other. So how I would want to see is some regulation. Absolutely, uh, I think it is beneficial having a, a seed-to-sale system. So there's a monitoring system in the U.S. with regulations where you take a, a plant that's at a certain size, let's say um, – let's say six inches tall, uh, depends on the state, that you then need to tag that plant. So often, you know, you'll take a clone cutting and wait a few weeks for it to get large enough, and then you'll tag it. When you have that tag on that plant, that tag stays at that plant all the way through the flowering process, or excuse me, the vegetative process, the flowering process, uh, when you harvest, when you cure it. It goes all the way through the processes until it gets to the end consumer where you have that tag. And what that does is it just lets you know, you know some of the features of the plant, where it comes from, who grew it, which is very beneficial, say, you know, if there's an issue with selling cannabis, say that there's a mold issue or an issue with metals or pesticides. You know, as I mentioned earlier, there can be people that cut corners. You want to make sure that you have a testing process for that. So what you have is you have a system that monitors the plant. With that same tag I was mentioning about how it goes to the consumer, in between going to the end consumer and being finished, you have a testing facility that tests that cannabis that says, okay, are there trace metals in there? What are the trace elements of pesticides? It also very importantly measures organic compounds being THC, CBD, CBN. It's not as common to look at CBN or CBGs. There's a lot of talk about CBN being a very beneficial organic compound like that of THC. Also, you know, you don't see it as frequently, and that might be a good way for people to become more unique is testing for terpenes as well. Terpenes is the aroma that a plant emits. So that can be any plant, like a rose, for example. You smell it, it smells wonderful. You're smelling in terpenes. And there's a lot of research that confirms that aromatherapy can be very beneficial. So uh, I'm going on a little bit of a tangent there. But what I will say, what I would like to see is I would like to see a regulated structure where you do look at the plants, they are tested. So before consumers have them, you, they are tested and you know that you know there's not high elements of metal. Uh, there's not things in there that could make it more unhealthy because we still need a lot more research to confirm a lot of the health benefits of cannabis, as well as what could be some of the negative drawbacks. I know in the industry, it can be difficult for people to admit that, but we have to make sure and say, hey, if we're lighting something and we're smoking it, what kind of effects does that have on our body long term? And we need those studies. So definitely regulation to protect consumers, testing. I'm more of somebody that you know likes free markets. So you know not as much regulation when it comes to competition. But something I have noticed is if you have more money, if you have those advantages, you're going to have larger players in the industry. They're going to dominate it. You know I think everybody likes the underdog, and everybody wants to have a system where a regular person can start a business and be successful in cannabis. I have a couple of interesting ideas there. You know, you actually, there's, there's a collective in Germany, the Alpenmilch of uh, Alp milk. And you have farmers from the Alps that, you know, they have like a collective program where they put their milk in together and they sell it at a price. And I like that because that's more on a local level. You know, that's your everyday person, you know, your mom and pop. 
that they're working together and they're able to produce a product. I like that. And I, I would like to see some sort of regulation that would allow for something like that, not just say have very large corporations that are in complete control. So what I'd like to see with is, again, regulations protecting the end consumer, making it easier for everyday people to join the industry. And what I'd also like to see or what I would not like to see would be regulations that make it so difficult to where people are going to try and make money wherever they can and cut those corners. Super interesting. And I mean, like you said at the beginning, when it's regulated, we know what's actually in the product. It actually gets tested, you know, EU and GMP, of course, so that there's a lot to unpack there. And then transparency and traceability, that's a really, really good thing to make sure we understand where the seed came from, how it was grown and how it was processed and finally reached the shelves. That would be really good. And I even think there's a marketing side to that because people like to know the story. Good example of like what you said is these German farmers from the Alps that have their milk and they've kind of made an association and got together. You know, you also hear about that in Humboldt or the Golden Triangle, you know, Northern California, where they've come together and they're like, hey, you know, we're legacy farmers over here. Let's bring this together and power numbers, so to speak. Great. Well, I only have a couple more questions for you, Brian, which I ask all my guests. And the first one, which actually for you, I might even break into two sub questions is what advice would you give to an American trying to enter the American cannabis space compared to maybe a European? Would you give the same advice? Sure. Um, well, first I'll give the same advice for both, and that's know what you're doing. Put the research in, put the work in, you know, buckle up because, you know, it's not easy to start a business. It's difficult. Uh, you know, I have an entrepreneurial heart myself and there can be times where it gets really hard. And I think that's when you look at yourself and say, do I still want to do this? And when you love what you do, when you're passionate about what you do, yeah, you, you might even ask that question and say, yeah, of course, this is, this is what I'm supposed to do. So I would say, be passionate, know that you want to do this, love it, get ready for a bumpy ride. Make sure that you're well educated. Make sure that you know you know as much as you can uh, before starting the business and have a plan in place. Now, if I was to separate it between you know advice for say an American entrepreneur and a German entrepreneur, that's interesting. Well, that is actually very interesting because again, we're gonna have to look at culture and society. In America, it can kind of be a badge of honor if you fail a business. I've talked to successful people who they failed three or four or five times, but they just kept going. And that's kind of like, you know, an American, you know, cultural perspective, if so to say. In Germany, if somebody starts a business and it fails, it's not necessarily that same badge of honor. There could be people that are like, well, why did the business fail? What did they do wrong? Or, you know, so, you know, I think culturally speaking, being an entrepreneur can be a little bit different on a societal basis. On a, an individual basis, it's a very real and similar thing. So I think noticing that just for people in uh, America who have the luxury of failing multiple times before they're successful, I would you know, say keep that in mind. For an individual in Germany where they feel like they only have one shot, that might require them to be all the more prepared or, you know, as we were talking about, have more of an exit plan and risk mitigation plan in the sense of, okay, if I don't get to where I want to exit where I want to be, what is that occurrence or say that number or whatever it is that I need to look at, monitor my risks and say, oh, I need to make sure I don't fail. Or if I do fail, I exit gracefully. Exit gracefully. I like that. But I also like that American sort of motto or mantra of if you fail, just get up again and, and try again, start over. 
it's a good attitude to have because we all fail at things once or twice in our life and, and you learn from these lessons as well. Which actually leads me on perfectly to my last question. If you could go back in time, is there anything you would do differently? Well, I'm sure there's all some embarrassing, you know, things when you're a kid that you always wish you could change. Yeah, you know, quite frankly, I would say no. I'm sure there's decisions I could have made that would get me further in my career or, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of those what ifs. But something for me is I'm incredibly grateful for the life I've lived so far. I've always felt like I've listened to my heart. I've listened to my passion, you know, and and cannabis has been unbelievable for that. When, you know, I was first working and thinking to myself like, oh, I'm working all the time. Is this what I want to do? Is, is this, do I want to do that nine to five the rest of my life? So yeah, cannabis has been unbelievable. My relationship with it has made me more, more introspective, more empathetic. I just, I love it so much. So if there's anything I could do, no, not really. I mean, maybe a couple of those small details, you know, you wish you could always do just a little bit better in a, in a meeting or a little bit better on a project. I'm never satisfied. There's always something I wish I could do better. But overall, I mean, man, focusing on my education, spending time traveling and understanding this world, living in Germany, spending time with family, getting in the cannabis industry, which I'll tell you was rough for me. I mean, financially, it was very difficult at a couple different times in my life. I was even sleeping in a car at one point. Uh, I even have a recording of it, but I'll tell you, I love looking at that recording now where I was in a really tough spot and looking at it now. So no, I wouldn't change anything. I love cannabis. I love the decisions I've made. So I'll just double down and say, nope, wouldn't change a thing. Great. So where can our guests find out a little bit more about Canna Advisors, Heart Group, and, and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so first look at uh, Can Advisors website. You can just do a Google search for Can Advisors. We'll be the first search that appears. Also, you know, please have a look at my LinkedIn profile. Uh, that'd be Brian Hart. Again, if you search for me, uh, Brian Hart Cannabis or Can Advisors, won't be hard to find me. Uh, that's where you can find some additional information. I will say on Can Advisors, we do have some very good blog posts discussing cannabis. I do have a couple articles as well. Oh, this would be last year uh, when cannabis was announced to be legalized in Germany. And I've followed up on another article from my recent trip in Germany. So that would be a great resource for information. And, you know, feel free to contact us as well. We, we have information where you're able to, you know, drop us an email in our website at Can Advisors, or you could also just send me a personal message on LinkedIn. Great. And last but not least, if you happen to be in Jamaica in not too long, you will be speaking there, right, at Canex. Is that the 13th to the 15th of September? I believe I'll be coming in on the 14th to the 18th at Canex. But yes, I will be speaking there. I will be discussing, you know, finance and investments over at Canex. Yeah, I mean, I'm very excited. But also on a personal note, I'm just extraordinarily thrilled to, uh, well, just roll up a blunt and uh, chill in a hammock, smoke that, and see the beautiful Jamaica beaches. So Talking about legacy, right? I mean, it uh, doesn't get much more legacy than that. So great. Nice, Brian. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. It was an absolute pleasure discussing all these things with you and then seeing how the industry will evolve. We'll see what happens. The future hopefully is bright. Absolutely. Tom, it was really a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. And I look forward to the next time we speak. Great. That was Brian Hart, who I just want to thank for coming on the show. If you want to find out more about Canna Advisors and how they can perhaps help you with your cannabis business, check out their website at thinkcanna.com. That's T-H-I-N-K-C-A-N-N-A dot com. 
You can also find Brian on LinkedIn if you search for Brian Hart, B-R-I-A-N for Brian, H-A-R-T for Hart. You can also find the links in the description of this episode. Also, make sure to check out our website at smellslikebusiness.com and subscribe to this podcast if you like what you hear. I've been your host, Tom. Have a green day. Business.